0: Welcome to the Zeno Learn podcast where we ask the question if you could teach the next generation one thing what would it be I'm your host Claire and I'm so excited for you to join us today And welcome back Zeno learners to another episode of the Zeno Learn podcast And I am thrilled to welcome another Londoner here today with us, Leroy Hibbert. Leroy, hi, how are you today?
1: Hi, I'm doing quite well. Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
0: It's so nice to have you on, and I'm so excited and looking forward to the conversation that we're going to have today. So without further ado, could you introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Sure. My name is Leroy Hibbert. I, I was actually born in Toronto. My mom and dad are from Kingston, Jamaica, so... My family migrated to uh, the city here and I went to elementary school, high school here and also post-secondary. And also I have a beautiful wife. Her name is Helen. I've got a beautiful daughter as well named Deja Moore. My daughter just recently got married about a couple of years ago. So my wife and I have two grandchildren now, in addition to having such a beautiful family. And I appreciate what we have. But in addition to that, as far as my work within the confines of London and also on the outskirts. And a lot has to do with the whole idea of race relations and cultural understanding. and really trying to build community and understanding with the people that we come in contact with. Because the world is changing and it's changing quite quickly and it's an adjustment for everybody. So what we try to do is provide a platform where we can have a conversation and talk about issues that are very important to the lives that people live.
0: Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about that a little bit more? So what specifically is the work that you do and how does it take shape? How does it look like in the community?
1: Well, I do a lot of work in the schools, both school systems and also public schools, private schools, corporations and companies. And the work that I do is really dealing with this area of race relations and anti-racism and really coming from a point of understanding for the parties that I'm working with. But the work that I try to do specifically is really trying to build a foundation so that we can all grow and understand where we are all coming from and really deal with matters that are somewhat complex. A lot can be very uncomfortable, but I wanna provide a safe place where people that are adults and also young people can discuss these topics and stumble without being canceled out as far as life is concerned, because people do make mistakes. Yes, people do have to be held accountable for those mistakes, but I think as well, People are learning and growing, and they're trying to change.
0: You have a really strong strategy here, but one of the things that caught my attention was trying to create an environment that allows people to learn without being cancelled out. What does that mean, being cancelled out, and how do you try to prevent this feeling?
1: Well, you know, there are four kinds of people in the world today. Those who watch things happen, those who let things happen, those who make things happen, and those who ask what happened. And so what I try to do is with this idea of not being canceled out is when people do make a mistake or they say something that's not the best, or they say something that's not appropriate, I provide a space where they can do that and be open because that's how I can understand where people are. So we can build what's called a foundation and grow from there. So when people do say things and sometimes even preface what they say, when they may say a comment or make a statement, I don't know if this is going to be offensive, but and sometimes they may do that. But in the sense of the conversation, I allow people to open up. And part of that process is me sharing about myself. When I go into a workshop and go into a presentation, even though I have content to cover, I'm not concerned with covering everything on my agenda because the people that I'm talking to and with are the content. My responsibility as a presenter, I see myself this way as far as facilitating these discussions, is really being concerned with their life, where they are, how they see things, where they see themselves going. How can we address such a touchy topic and really provide an area where people can do that? I think canceling people out is basically dismissing them completely as if they did not exist. But in the same way people need to see me, I think I also need to see them.
0: Yeah. I think that the fear of making mistakes is something that often scares people away from having these conversations and scares people away from learning, in fact. So I think that that's really interesting that you are aware of in your work and that you're really trying to foster an environment where people can learn and make mistakes, but grow from them. And so what are they learning in the end? Like for people who don't understand all the diversity, inclusion, anti-racism jargon, what are they going to learn if they come into your, your workshop, your presentation, your consulting? What are they going to learn at the end of the day from Leroy?
1: Well, I think they'll learn, number one, is we're all human. But in our humanity, we have differences. And those differences sometimes shape and they also govern how we see ourselves and how we move throughout the world. And so it's really trying to see and allow people to see another person's experience, who they are as an individual, and how they see themselves and how they see the world from a different lens. So with this idea, we talk about anti-racism and racialized communities. One of the greatest things we start to deal with and talk about is number one is that we all see color unless you're colorblind. This idea of being colorblind and not seeing color can perpetuate a stereotype or stigma that's out there for people that are from racialized communities. And for years, I think a lot of people and I understand where they're coming from in a sense where they're trying to say they don't see color. But the way the world is shaped and governed, people do see color. And the way the world is, it's not necessarily fair. It's bent. So it almost favors a particular group, consciously or unconsciously. And so what happens is when you see a person of color, it's okay to recognize that. But the only concern that we have is what do you do with the color that you actually see? So it's not a bad thing to recognize a person's, let's say, physical difference. Because, for example, if somebody is in a wheelchair, as an example, And you look at that person and you say, I don't believe they are in a wheelchair. Well, they are in a wheelchair because if they weren't in a wheelchair, why are we retrofitting our buildings to accommodate a population of people? Because they want access to facilities. So it's not a bad thing to recognize a difference. It's just that when you recognize it, you don't make the person feel bad because of that difference. And that's where we kind of start some of the conversation as far as definitions and terms and phrases that we can use and that we can discuss so that we can see things from a different point of view.
0: You also, in your work, talk about cultural literacy. What is cultural literacy and how does it lend itself so well to anti-racism and learning about human differences?
1: That's an excellent question. I mean, for myself, cultural literacy is really communicating and understanding the experiences of diverse cultures and communities while building capacity. So it's just really trying to understand those sort of things. I believe we all have culture. When we think of culture, we automatically think of country, which is part of it, but not all of it. So culture is like a person's belief systems. It can be their values. It can be their ideas. It can be their customs. It can be their traditions. It can be their thoughts. We're swimming in culture all the time. And what happens is when you understand you have culture, you can have more understanding for those that have culture that may not be from your particular country. So then you don't look at other cultures as being exotic or wow, it's almost as if we're not a costume, we're a people. So it's really trying to get a sense of that with uh, the people that we're interacting with. See, because I believe what you believe is where you will end up. And you cannot live beyond what you've been taught. So my Angela, I believe she said, do what you know. But then when you know better, you do better. And it's a process in learning. So when you talk about when I talk about culture, it's not a destination. You don't just get everything in a workshop or a presentation, or you can read as many books as you want, but culture is very fluid. It changes because people change. So you're looking at a lifelong journey. And when you think of life as a lifelong journey, you'll be open to those differences when you interact with them.
0: I love it. That's poetry to my ears. As an anthropologist, it's just poetry to my ears. I'd love to find out how you got started in this kind of work. Has this always been your calling or was there a moment in your life that prompted you to work in anti-racism and cultural
1: literacy? It's been something that I believe has been placed in my heart, in my spirit for, it's been years. And I know what growing up in high school, this idea of race and culture has been really interesting to me. Especially one of the people that I really respect is Dr. Martin Luther King. I used to read a lot of his books and we'll see him on television, per se, like in videos. I liked his way of doing things and his sort of civil disobedience, where he got his message across, but in a very loving and compassionate way. And so it wasn't necessarily maybe a one specific incident, but it was just this idea of especially people that are from my racial background, doing various things and not just in stereotypical roles. And that really kind of moved me. I just really love people. I really want to see the best of people. I want to support them in any way I can. I just want to really listen to their story, hear where they're coming from, and see where they can go.
0: Mm -hmm. Can you give us an example of a time where you have helped a school or a business take some of the principles of anti-racism and cultural literacy and use them and kind of have a successful outcome? Is there
1: a story you can share? Well, there was a gentleman that was at an elementary school that I was doing some work in and he was uh, called names, if you will, some racial epithets that were used towards him. And he actually emailed me directly and he said, this has happened to me. He needed some support. And so I went to the school, talked to the principal and found out what they were saying. And then I was able to talk to him. And now he's gone to high school now. I just saw him not too long ago. He's doing well. He has a brother as well in high school. And this other gentleman, he's actually, I think he's graduating high school, looking on going to university. And he just was doing some really good things with his life. But the thing that was really, really encouraging was he was reaching out. And he did it himself. And he reached out to me. And I took that very serious that I need to reach back out to him. So I made time to go to his school and build that relationship with him because I knew him in the past and and now he's doing some really great things. And it's nice to see students feel that they can have a voice or they can use their voice and not just necessarily find it. You know, I hear these terms a lot as far as people finding their voice. Their voice is already there, but what's happening I think is people are not listening. And I think now when people, with what's going on globally right now, our communities have been speaking this for years, probably over 200 years, but now I think people are starting to listen.
0: What if there are listeners who have stumbled onto the podcast and who don't understand the value of anti-racism? Why do we need anti-racism? Whether this listener is a student or perhaps a skeptical business executive, what would you say to convince someone that anti-racism is worth taking seriously and is worth
1: learning? Well, because I think racism exists. Actually, I know, not necessarily think, but racism does exist. And it's a good business practice. I mean, if you look at the world right now, you know, I believe the United Nations has said that Toronto is the most culturally and racially diverse city in all the world. And so, when you're looking at people that are from various communities and how they have been treated in the past, you been talking about First Nations and residential schools and, and how they've been affected greatly. And I believe the last residential school to be closed was in 1996. And you talk about the Japanese Canadians per se, the Chinese Canadians, you talk about various communities, the Jewish community. Yeah, this is not an exhaustive list, but I believe it's really important that we need to address these sorts of things because you'll have better productivity from the people that you're actually hiring for your business. You'll have better retention in your business when these sorts of things are addressed. You have a better profit margin in your business. And also you have better relationships. I mean, it's nice to make a profit in a business. It's nice to do well economically, but it's also nice to interact with people. It's nice to get to know the story. It's nice to understand and walk in somebody else's shoes, if you will, to see where they're coming from. And there may be people that are listening that say, well, Leroy, I have a or I have friends that are from various racial communities and we get along well and we don't have these discussions and it's great. And I just want to lend an ear to the person or people that may think that. But I want to just give you another perspective that just because you have a friend that's from a different racial group or ethnic group, that doesn't mean you still have strong cross racial relationships. Because many times people that have friends are not from their particular racial group. They may not want to bring up the conversation because they don't want to be that person or they don't want to interrupt the relationship or the friendship. But when they're with their own community, it comes up on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's not a matter of just having people in your presence, assuming that because I have a lot of people that are from different racial groups, I automatically have a great racial perspective. That may not be the case. Just because you have different racial groups around you doesn't mean you're a non-racist or an anti-racist person per se, right?
0: Mm -hmm. i think that's especially a message that canadians need to hear i think the conversation about race is very different in every country but if we're looking at the american conversation versus the canadian conversation it's a lot more about microaggressions or abuses over time, as Ibram X. Kendi describes it. I wonder if you could share what you think is most needed in the Canadian context. What is the reality that a lot of Canadians are afraid to face that they need to deal with first before they can learn and grow towards a more
1: equal and equitable society? Number one is acknowledgement. You cannot change what you do not acknowledge. So I believe we have to acknowledge the fact that number one, this exists. Doesn't mean you're a bad person, but we're realizing we have to name it. Racism is racism, and we have to have that as almost a separate category. I think what we do sometimes is we place racism in this idea of what's called equity or inclusion, and it can be diluted because their diversity or equity encompasses many things. But we have to pull out this topic of racism look at it. Then we have to pull out of racism, anti-Black racism. Then we have to pull out of anti-Black racism, anti-Asian racism. You have to pull out anti-Indigenous racism. And then there are segments and populations that also are dealing with this topic here to various degrees. And once we start to do that and pick it apart, we can start to dismantle things. People may say, well, Leroy, things are going great here. And we're not as bad as people across over the border racism in Canada can be very polite
0: Mm
1: -hmm. we talk about microaggressions you know I went to a school not too long ago and as I walked into the school I went to the office to talk to the administrative assistant and asked to speak with the principal so as I walked up to him I shook his hand I said hi my name is Leroy Hibbert I work such and such place I'm doing this you've got some programs and and so he looked at me and he said you know what you speak really good English where are you from and then he asked me if I played basketball and so I paused momentarily and I didn't get upset with him and I didn't call him a racist and I didn't call him a bigot. I just paused because even though I have my narrative, I think he also has his. So I looked at that as a teaching opportunity. So I paused momentarily. And I just thought in my mind, um, I think English is actually a universal language. You don't have to be from one particular space to speak it if you're taught it. But mm-hmm. I just listened to what he had to say. He took me into his office. He gave me some basketball applications because the tournament was going to be played within the confines of the city. And he, wanted me to promote it. And I said, thank you very much. But what I have to do now is in those cases that many people may not, I have to think about who's coming behind me. Because I don't want to what's called set a tone that will confirm a stereotype that he may have of a person that looks like me, possibly the angry black man, always crying wolf, always crying racism. And that's not the case. But these sort of things, as far as racialized communities, we have to walk this fine line. We're always trying to think ahead and how to navigate through life in our very simplistic interactions that we have with people on a daily basis.
0: Can you just repeat that? Who's coming behind me and what tone am I setting for the next person? Because I think it's such an important point. And it's something that a person of white skin like myself would not ever have thought of. That's not part of my identity or my experiences living in predominantly white societies.
1: Yes. We're always thinking ahead and also behind and also presently. So we're always thinking from a racialized community perspective is what kind of message are we sending? Because it's going to impact the people that are coming after us. I didn't want to confirm a stereotype that it may have already of me because the media sometimes, not to criticize the media at all, but sometimes the idea of people that are different are not accurately represented. So information being presented to the public and society on a regular basis that may not be accurate about people that look like me or people that don't look like me. People are getting inundated with messaging. And it's not accidental that these sort of messaging systems are being in place to send these sort of messages. So we have to contend with those things and give them another message about how diverse our community is. We talk about even culture previously with your question. There are cultures within cultures. So when you look at one person, you may look at them from a particular place. But when you talk to them, you'll notice that we're very different and we're very complex people. Those are the things we just want to, uh, to keep in mind. But those microaggressions do happen on a, somewhat of an interesting basis. And you just learn to, to navigate through those things.
0: So acknowledgement and learning that there are layers and layers and layers of racism and trying to navigate through some of the polite racism in Canada is something that you would counsel Canadian listeners to start thinking about and realizing and taking the next step.
1: Exactly. And it's not to criticize Canadians that are white or anybody that's white at all. And I think it can be interpreted that way. Like, Leroy, I didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. I'm not a bad person. I would never treat people that way. I never raised my family that way. I was never raised that way. And that is phenomenal. I appreciate that. But when you talk about racism, we don't want to just be non-racist. We want to be anti-racist. You can't be neutral in the conversation. And I think what happens is in life, not to criticize anybody, but if we're not careful, we can be so focused on trying to convince people that we're not racist, that we're not being anti-racist. I think the opposite of racism is anti-racism. I look at that as a verb, an action word. You know, while these things are going on, what are we doing? And you don't have to necessarily go and protest and march. There are many ways you can be an anti-racist person. It could be something as simply as picking up a book and seeing what the conversation is going on right now. What's happening? A lot of us have access to the Internet. We can go online and Google some various things and just to try to be aware of what's happening around the world and what certain communities are facing as far Mm -hmm. as racism and also now COVID-19. And so it's just about being aware.
0: And that actually leads in very well to my next question. What is your
1: theory of change? It's an excellent question. When you hear stories from individuals or communities that are from racialized communities, if you can just believe them, one of the greatest things with George Floyd that took place and how he lost his life, and Sandra Bland, and Ahmaud Arbery, and you know you talk about Jacob Blake that is paralyzed and. You look at that and you ask yourself, my goodness, it's becoming so chronic. And people look at this and go, well, Leroy, I don't understand why do we have, I'm maybe going in a different direction here, but I don't understand why we have, they have this so slogan called Black Lives Matter. Why do we have that? White Lives Matter. You know, Blue Lives Matter, which is very important. All lives matter. And I think we have to be very careful that we don't say that in reference to combat Black Lives Matter. Now, Black Lives Matter, we're talking about the slogan that's out there right now, just the phrase, Black Lives Matter, and what that looks like for people. I look at it like this. Everybody's life does matter, which is very critical. But if you're living in a neighborhood and you're just downstairs watching television or in your living room or in your kitchen and just enjoying the company of your family and friends, and all of a sudden, there's a house down the street that's burning and that's on fire, and you can see it within your own home. Human nature would be going outside right now. All of you go outside and find out where the fire is and go to that home and see what you can do to get those families out. It does not mean your house does not matter. It just means that this house right now is on fire. And we Mm -hmm. want to make sure the people that are in there are taken care of and that are safe. And I think that's sort of the analogy that I want to present. I
0: wholeheartedly agree with that analogy.
1: You know, we want success for everybody, no matter what they look like and who they are, as far as their ethnicity or culture or color. We want people to be successful in every area. And all we want is just opportunity, many times. Opportunities are not as readily available as others. You know, right now you have this term called privilege. And then you have this term called white privilege. This whole phrase called white privilege can be very, very polarizing. people will look at you and go, well, Leroy, I I don't, I'm a white person and I don't have privilege. My mom and dad or my family came here from a different country. They didn't know the language. They had to make a living for themselves and they, they did very well and we had to work hard. So I don't understand you're saying there's white privilege and I have privilege and you don't, I don't understand that process or I don't, I can't comprehend that. Well, what it means, basically this idea that's out there right now about white privilege It doesn't mean that people that are Caucasian did not have to, quote unquote, struggle, did not have to work hard and go through obstacles to get to their destination. The only difference is that your skin color was not used as a hindrance to get there. That's the only difference. So we do all have to go through obstacles. It just so happens that one of the obstacles that you have to go through, your skin color was not used as a deterrent to get you to that particular place. Mm
0: -hmm. Thank you. Leroy, because I know that I will never be able to fully understand. The color of my skin has not been a hindrance, um, but I can just try to open my heart and listen and learn and accept, like you said earlier, accept
1: that your experiences are truth. Yes, Um, make a very excellent point there. Where when things happen to people that are from these communities, many times they don't necessarily look at the intent they're concerned with the impact. Mm -hmm. And we have to be also aware of the fact that if people do make mistakes, because this idea of racism and anti-racism can be a little bit messy, in in essence, and a little bit different, could be new for many people. And if a mistake is made, and that mistake is corrected, when people look to correct, it doesn't mean they hate. When somebody corrects you, you can look at it as, they care enough about me to tell me that I should maybe not say that or I should say this instead. They care enough knowing that it's going to cost them something to share that because many times people don't. They just let it go and they have to deal with it. But for a person to come and tell you, no, you shouldn't say that, or maybe you should have said this instead, it lets you know that, number one, they care. They care to tell you that they want you to see things from a different point of view so that other people may not have to be impacted in the same way. So intent and impact where we're not necessarily concerned always about the intent, but what happened is it's the impact that we're concerned about because that affects our livelihood, that affects our living. So please, for those that are listening, if somebody does correct you and whatever the term or phrase that you may say or mistakes that you made, whatever it may be, please don't take offense to that. It takes a lot of courage to really speak up, to let somebody know that maybe from a different background or maybe from a privileged background or a racially different background to maybe difficult for a racialized community member to speak up and say, you know, maybe we should try this instead. Or this word actually means this. This is how we see it as opposed to how you're saying it.
0: So I think we're going to wind things down with our last question. Learns' mission is to make the world safer for human differences. And we end each episode by asking if you could teach the next generation one thing, if you could go into a classroom. You're already very familiar with going into classrooms and speaking to administrations and students, so perhaps you can draw from experience here. But when you do go in and you speak to the next generation, what is one thing that you would tell them about human differences or diversity or anti-racism?
1: You can't be what you can't see. So representation, I think, is very important. We need to see ourselves in places, roles, classrooms, businesses, companies. If you can't see it, it's very difficult to be it. And this whole idea of race and anti-racism is have courage. Keep having courage. Courage is not the absence from fear. It's the ability to operate in its presence. So have courage and fear not. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank
0: you so much, Leroy. I am always writing notes during my interviews and I have several pages here. So I look forward to sharing it with the world. Where can people find you online?
1: Well, I have a website called leroyhibbert.com. And my email address is leroy underscore hibbert at yahoo.com. So it's Leroy, L-E-R-O-Y underscore Hibbert, H-I-B-B-E-R-T at yahoo.com. And we'll include
0: the links in the description in the bottom of the podcast. Leroy, thank you so, so much for coming on to the XenoLearn podcast.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. And thank you so much for having me.
0: Wow. What an incredible interview. Thank you so much, Leroy, for sharing your experiences and lessons about anti-racism and cultural literacy with us. As I said in the interview, I took pages of notes during our conversation, so here are the takeaways. Number one, we are all human. And because we are all human, We are all different, and that difference is unique and beautiful. Number two, it's okay to recognize skin color and physical differences. But what you do when you see skin color and physical difference is what matters. Treat people fairly and equally, regardless of their differences. Number three, racism still exists. It is undeniable. Acknowledgement is the first step towards dismantling racism, so it is worth your time to learn about anti-racism so that we can create better relationships and a better world. Number four, it is important that we remind ourselves that an individual's actions should not be generalized to reflect their entire racial community. Likewise, we should not impose stereotypes or generalizations on individuals within a racialized community. And number five, have courage, stay strong, and have the courage to have these conversations because they are so, so needed. And that is it for another episode of the Learn podcast. Thank you again so, so much to Harriet. As always, you can find us on social media at Xenolearn. That's at X-E-N-O-L-E-A-R-N. We'll be back next week. That's next Wednesday with another episode, and that will be our last episode of season one. So stay tuned, Xenolearners. Bye for now.